Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, all right, all right, here we go. Man, the meal is over. This lunch went all day, the rest of the day. Like it, when it says that they feasted, they drank and feasted, you know, they, that's not, that's not a 20 minute lunch break. Now there's a good chance that Joseph stayed the whole time and maybe he passed off his, his duties. He might've shut down the gate for the rest of the day to him. This is unique. And I have a feeling it went all day. And that, that phrasing about just the openness and the, the, the levity, that's a word, right? I can't spell it. So it's hard for me to use it, but that, that that kind of fun that was going on, I think Joseph observed and just relished the the brothers. He realized that in his heart, he would everything he had hoped for by never communicating with them again had been true. Remember the promises when he wept and begged for his life, and he and they were like, "You need to promise to never." Uh, you know, never come back, never contact us, never reach out to the to to dad. You, you're dead to us. And he probably said something like, "Will you take care of Benjamin?" And they were like, "Yeah, we'll take care of him, but you can never come back." And and he made that vow, and and he kept that vow despite the fact that clearly he had tons of opportunity to reach back out to the father and to make contact with the family and to let him know that he's alive. And especially when he was in charge of Egypt. Easily could have said, you know, Father, come come here. Uh, let me take care of you. Or, Father, this is what happened. Let's take care of the brothers. Like, there's all kinds of ways that he could have reached out. He, all kinds of ways that this could have been corrected. And, and yet he wanted to know, did the brothers uphold their end of the, of the promise? Did they fulfill their end of the covenant the way he fulfilled his? And he observed what they were doing at the table. He observed how they behaved when Benjamin got the five times the portion of anybody else at the table. And there was no jealousy and there was no anger and there was the, 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 the camaraderie around the table was clear. And the brothers relaxed. And for a while, Joseph maybe even thought, wow, this might work. This might work. I wonder if during this time, he actually thought, I'm going to tell him who I am. But then he caught himself because because deep inside, he still doubted. I mean, what they did to him was very traumatizing. And he had not fully worked it out. He, He didn't have the bitterness, but he did have the trauma. So he wanted to test them one more time. Now, once again... I do not believe this plan came from God. Why do I keep bringing that up? Because I think many people believe God acts like this. They think that that God sets you up so he can knock you down, that he puts you in a circumstance that he orchestrates so that you can be tested, so that you can you can possibly fail and he then can whack the snot out of you or do something really bad to you, or mean to you, or whatever. Like, there's just so many, so many people think God's like that. 
But I don't think God is, and I don't I don't see anywhere in the story where we see Joseph getting any sort of word from God. Now, do I think Joseph interacted with heaven? Yes, I do. And I think the Egyptians understood that he interacted with heaven. And maybe he just doesn't let it be known in the story that he's interacting with heaven. Maybe God is kind of a schizophrenic slash bipolar God who just periodically, you know, sets you up so you can fail. If you want that kind of God, I, I, I know many people are comfortable with that. But I want you to know, as, as if you've listened to the epic narrative at, in any sort of continuous way, you know that that is not the God that I see in Scripture. And it's I know there are many who agree with me. I am not spouting some new revelation that nobody else has ever heard. But I do, at least as far as I can tell, what you're listening to in the epic narrative is unique in that people don't tell the stories of the Old Testament with a good God. They just don't. And I see him all through this. And this is one of the ways that I see him is that people give God credit for this and there's no mention of God being part of this plan. This is Joseph's plan. And I think during lunch, he looked around and thought, man, this is this is so, I'm so close, so close to revealing who I am, but I can't do it yet. I can't do it yet. But this is, he's seeing a lot of good indicators and he probably even chuckled a few times. Maybe he had to be careful about what he laughed at because they're speaking Hebrew and, and he can understand them, but he has to pretend he can't. So he just, he has to uh, very be very much in control, very much in control. So Joseph gives the instructions for the steward of the house. Now he said, fill the man's sack with as much food as they can carry, but put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack and then put my cup the silver one, put my cup in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver of, for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. Now, again, I, I think it makes sense that the steward is, the, is Joseph's son. It just, it just does to me. I, I think that uh, I like that. Those who believe that, like to me, it just fits really well. He's, he's trusted. He's right alongside Joseph. But I, you know, if you want him to just be kind of a random long-term friend and servant of Joseph, that's fine with me too. I'm fine either way. So he gives him these instructions. And then it says in verse 3, Morning dawned, and the men were sent their way with their donkeys. So all the night goes through. So I don't know when their, their carts were loaded. I assume it was during the afternoon while the party was going on. They get done with the party. They, uh, you know, wake up <laughs> a little, uh, a little groggy. You know, they, they, uh, I don't know where they slept, but they, they had a great time, and that's probably what they woke up thinking: like, wow, things are finally turning around for us. This, this was a, this was good. We thought. Remember when we came here? And we all thought that you know God was God was going to finally discipline us to the point where we were either going to become slaves or be killed, and we end up with a great party, and we had a lot of fun, and then periodically they probably were like, and how weird is it that they knew the exact birth order of the family? I mean, I get confused sometimes. I can't remember who was born first, 
between me and somebody else. But the steward of the house, he's in on this whole plan. So morning dawns, the men were sent on their way to their donkeys. You get the sense that Joseph didn't send them away. They woke up. Joseph was already probably, quote, at work, uh, whatever that was, wherever that was. Uh, It looks like he probably was in the house or around the house, but he didn't necessarily see his brothers in the morning. They get their food. They get all the provisions they're going to need. They get, you know, in their carts or on their donkeys or in front of their donkeys, and they leave the country. Now, while the, while they're gone, like, I don't, part of me, just, I know, I know I, I overthink sometimes these stories. I think, why didn't they check their sacks? Like, the grains all filled. Now, maybe that would have been, you know, really disrespectful and dishonoring to, doubt that the viceroy of the of the nation he tells you that your sacks are filled with grain and your carts are ready to go and you go out and start looking around and making sure that their your grain is you know that it is grain and that your sacks are full like maybe maybe that would be disrespectful i can see that but at some level i also think come on guys like the last time you left all all your silver was there you didn't know who put it in there like like i don't know i don't know would you have looked it's I pack up my RV to go on a trip, right? And we look inside 50 times before we leave. Did I pack this? Did I pack this? Yes. Okay, I just want to look one more time. So, I don't know. It's just kind of in my head a little odd that they didn't check. So, But they didn't check. They didn't check. Uh, so, now obviously, the steward of the house is, is in on this. They got as much food as they could carry, more than they came for. Their silver was, was returned, and the silver cup was in the top of Ben's bag. Uh, it, it was probably designed to make it look like it was a quick, uh, like a quick hide, like, you know, just kind of shoved in really fast. Um, all of this was done while the, while the men were sleeping. So out, they get outside the, the city. They're on their way. Uh, this had gone, uh, they hadn't gone far when Joseph says to his steward, now go after the men at once, and when you catch them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. So he repeated those exact words. Now, now this cup was what? It was a silver cup. It would, it would have been present at lunchtime. Like everybody would have seen it. It would have been dominant in front of Joseph. And it was considered a religious relic. Remember, Joseph is married to Potiphar's daughter, who was uh, considered to be a high priest. And so the religious connection that Joseph had was, was really important to, the, to him as viceroy and to the nation, to the connection. Because everybody knew deep inside he was Hebrew. So this would have been a very important cup in everyday life. The fact that he was connected to God, whatever God it was, Pharaoh was was fine with because everyone knew that this was more than just more than just a a good guess on how long, you know, what the dreams meant and how long the famine was going to last and how how we could put together a plan in order to save enough not only for the nation of Egypt, but also the nations that surrounded Egypt. All of this they they gave God credit for because Joseph gave God credit for it. So 
the spiritual connection to between Joseph and Egypt was was pretty intense. So they put that in the top of Ben's bag. No small thing. They get outside the city, and Joseph sends a steward. Again, I, I think it just is kind of fun to keep this as Joseph's firstborn son. And when he gets there, he says the exact thing. Now, he would not have shown up alone. He would have shown up, uh, you know, with guards. Now, the brothers, in between the, you know, the breakfast, we'll call it breakfast. I don't know if they really had, you know, maybe a few bagels, some salmon. But between there, they get in, they get their carts, they look at their donkeys. They're all well-fed, well-watered ready for the journey. They need to get home. Remember, they need to turn things around quickly or their family's not going to make it. So they're kind of focused, ready to go. They're they're starting to trot outside the city. The carts are running. They're heavy. They're laden down. They've got more than what they planned on coming for. They're they're ready to go. They're having having conversations. They're probably laughing again about the, the lunch the day before. Everything is looking good. Not far outside the city, they see a group of guards, uh, army, patrolmen coming. They catch up with them, and the steward is there. And, he's, and he says to them, why does my, uh, uh, sorry, he says, isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination, this wicked thing you have done? When he caught up with them, he repeated the the exact words that his master had said. Why have you repaid good for evil? Isn't this the cup? But they said to them, him, the steward, "Why why why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We would even brought we even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver that we found inside our mouths of our sack the last time that we came. Why would we steal a silver or gold from my master's house? Now, he, he, again, he shows up, right? He makes sure that they, he accuses them of taking something that was at the lunch. He makes sure that the cup, you know, he, 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 he refers to the cup, the details of the cup, that it is spiritual, it is religious, it is distinct. And the brothers, of course, protest. They're like, why? Why would we, why would we bring back the silver that we were accused of stealing the last time if we were thieves? They are so confident of their innocence that they say, if the cup thief will die and all of us will become your slaves. Now that's pretty extreme, but that goes to the level of confidence that they believe that they cannot be, they cannot be accused of this. They just cannot. They said to them, why does the Lord say this? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back this. If any of your servants, verse 9, is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slave. (laughs) And the steward takes the deal. He's like, all right, it's very well. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free to blame. And they're like, wait, uh, that's not what we said, but but okay, okay. So the steward... The steward, he doesn't, he takes the deal, but because he takes the deal, he can change the deal. So he's like, all right, fine. You're willing to do that. This is what I'm willing to do. Whoever takes, whoever's found with the cup, we'll just take them as a slave. The rest of you will be free to go. 
So each of them quickly lowers his sack to the ground and opens it. Now, now this is not an easy task. This, this, I don't know if you've ever slung around, you know, uh, your suitcase at 50 pounds, but just imagine a cart full of them. You're pulling that up over the over the thing, you're throwing it, you're putting it on the ground, you're opening up, you know, pulling the cords, opening up these, these sacks. And what does the steward do? He proceeds to search, beginning with the oldest. Ending with the youngest, he goes through each sack. Uh, now, there's no way that you can reach to the bottom of these sacks. I don't know if you've ever tried to put your hand through a bucket of grain, but it is no easy task, right? I don't know if you've ever like fed chickens or or cows or whatever. You just you know, there's a big old grain, you know, uh, five gallon bucket of corn. You can't just shove your hand down there. It, it it doesn't go back that far. You have to work it down there. So I don't think it's a steward doing this. I'm guessing that the guards are using their um, their spears or their swords, and they're just kind of shoving it down. They're 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 waiting to hear something or or get some resistance on the sword. And they're starting with Reuben. And again, the brothers are still probably confused as to how this guy knows the exact order of their birth, but. He goes from one to the other, and they line up, and he works his way around, and he goes to everybody's grain, and while the guards are, are searching with their swords and their and their hands somewhat, you know, the, the steward is probably just looking at the brother, and he's waiting, and they go all the way through, and I imagine when they get down to just before Benjamin, they're all feeling really confident. I mean, really, technically, the only two people that would probably be very suspicious would be Simeon, who's been in jail, who might want to repay evil for good, and Benjamin, who wasn't there last time. So they're probably thinking, well, you know, there's only really a couple of us that the guy could even suspect. I mean, come on. But the, everyone that gets exonerated, they're happy about. So this, they search all the way through. It goes to the to the last guy, and the cup is found. Like I don't know how far how deep it was, but the sword clinks, or maybe maybe because the steward put it in there, he's <clears throat> he's the one who shoves his hand in the bag, and he and he grabs the cup, and he pulls it out, and he doesn't say a word. He probably pours the grain out of the out of the top of the cup and he holds it up in the sunlight and he turns and looks at all the brothers and the brothers lose their minds. They lose their minds. It says they tore their clothes. They just they now this is a this is a cultural thing. <clears throat> it it doesn't mean that they all stripped naked and ran ran around. It just means that they they tore their clothes. This was a dramatic sign of desperation, of grief, of some, sometimes you would do this if you were mourning the death of somebody. This was a sign that whatever just happened is tragic beyond compare. You don't know how else to respond. You've seen this uh, in jubilation. A lot of times there'll be, a, <laughs> you know, a team will win and, and guys will rip their shirts off, or, or girls will rip their shirts off. 
sometimes they just take him off over the head. But but I remember uh, way back when I was a kid, like Hulk Hogan, who was a, a wrestler, he made, you know, tearing his shirt like a thing. And, and people would do that, like just rip their shirts out of jubilation or or out of a show of power and strength. But this is this is a show of grief and tragedy, just beyond comprehension. How in the world could this have happened? Benjamin, how could you have let this happen? Why did you do this? And Benjamin, I'm sure, is immediately just begging, saying, there's no way, no way that this happened. I, was, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So in this kind of distress and overwhelming grief, they head back to the city. Right? Uh, where's that verse? Sorry, I got all excited. They tore their clothes. It says, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. So they loaded, so again, this doesn't this doesn't happen quickly, right? They tie their sacks back up, they they load them back into the carts, they they hang them off of the donkeys, they strap them onto the donkeys, uh, they they get themselves together. And now what? Well, well, now we got to go defend ourselves. They have so many questions. They can't figure out why this is why this has happened to them. And the only answers that they're coming up with is that God has done it. God did this to them. Somehow God put the cup in Benjamin's uh, uh, deal. This is the this is the payment. This is what we get because of what we did to Joseph. We've made him promise to never come home. We made him promise to never reach back out. We sold him into slavery, and we never told dad about it. I mean, even Reuben has to take responsibility for this. Even though he wasn't part of the plan, he was part of the vow. So they get back to Joseph's house. Oh, and look, Joseph happened to still be there. He's just hanging out. He's got work to do. Why is he hanging out? Because he wants to know. They get to the house. Judas, Judah and his brothers come in. Now, Judah has taken the lead on this because Judah was the one who promised his dad. He was the one the dad actually trusted with the son. They threw themselves on the ground before Joseph. I mean, now this was more than just a, a courteous bow. This was absolute, you know, abject humility. They laid themselves out. They are panicked. They are, they are there in front of Joseph, understanding that, that they are literally going to live their lives out as slaves. They offer their lives in service. They know that this means that their families won't get the food. They know that this means that their families... Uh, will need to send other sons to Egypt to try and find food, and that many of them are probably going to die. And they also know that this probably means Jacob will die as well. So Joseph says to them, as they're laying there on their, on their faces, what, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find out things through divination? Now remember, again, Joseph is considered a religious leader because of, of his connection 
in interactions with the high priest's daughter, who also would have been considered a priestess and a spiritual connection. So there's a whole lot of, of religious gobbledygook going on here. Now, did Joseph worship other gods? I have no idea. I know, I know the Jewish tradition would say absolutely not, that he worshiped Yahweh and Yahweh alone. That's fine. I, that's, that's probably true. Did he go to uh, you know temples? Did he go to religious ceremonies? Did he sit next to his wife while she performed certain religious ceremonies? Probably, probably. I, but I, you know it, that, that part doesn't bother me. I know for some it really does. They're like, no, Joseph has to be pure and clean. He's a picture of Jesus. Yada yada yada. And I'm like, okay, I'm uh, okay. But but culturally. It's really tough to have him do that and, and obtain this kind of favor. So, and why didn't he just say, "Did you know? Don't you know God would tell me what's going on?" He doesn't. He he again alludes to this to this spiritual connection he has through the cup. And they say, "What can we say, my lord?" Now, Judah's speaking. Okay, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilts. We are now, my Lord's slave, we ourselves and the one who is found to have the cup. So Judah is, is, is laying this out as an as a all or nothing thing. We are all your slaves. Benjamin was found with the cup. Your servant, your steward, sorry, had said only the one with the cup would be, would be a slave. But we are, all, we are all in this. We are all brothers. We are not abandoning the one brother who stole. We are all going to pay for this. This is now. This is huge to Joseph. Remember, because all the brothers were against him, and now all the brothers are willing to be slaves alongside Benjamin. They're all willing to be with Benjamin. They're all willing to let their their families probably die in hunger because they are innocent. They're trying to to prove the depth of which they are innocent of their charges. It's really quite fascinating. The layers of relational uh, interaction that, they're, that, they, that they are announcing and humbly begging Joseph to recognize. They're saying, we, we, you know, we are not. We are not leaving our brother here. We're all coming into this. We don't. We don't know how else to prove to you that we're that we're innocent of the charges. And Joseph's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I, I could never do that. Far be it for me. I'm not going to do such a thing. Only, only the one who's found to have the cup is going to become my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. Crazy. He refuses the offer and sticks only with Benjamin. Now, I don't, I don't know if this is one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know if, if at this point Joseph stood up, or sorry, Judah stood up and kind of made a, some, a somewhat of an approach to Joseph. But somewhere in there, Judah, Judah clearly makes an, you know, a, a, a physical I connection, I think, with, with Joseph, because he says, pardon your servant. Let me speak a word with you, my Lord. Don't be angry with your servant, though. 
you are equal to, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. So basically, Judah's, Judah's plan here is I'm going to come, I'm going to come all out. Like I'm not going to hold back any information. I'm going to let this guy know the entire deal because we have nothing else to lose. So he, he continues. He kind of points out that, that, I mean, in all of this, one of the, one of his points is, Joseph, you knew that if we brought Benjamin down here, our father was was on the verge of death. Like there's, we, we made that clear to you the last time we were here. So what you're asking us to do by leaving Benjamin behind is just, it's just not fair. So he continues. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or, the, or a brother? And we answered that we have an aged father and a young son that was born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. In other words, you asked us a question last time we were here. That's, that's what I was saying earlier. And we answered your question honestly. And you knew this, that our father is somehow spiritually and physically connected to this son who was born of him of his old age from his favorite wife and he just he just can't live without him but you said to your servants bring him down here so i can see him for myself and prove that you're not spies and and you told your servants unless your younger brother comes down with you you will not see my face again so we went back to your servant my father and we told them what you had said. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And we ran out of food. And my father said, go back and buy a little more food. And we said, we can't go down. Only if our younger brother is with us will we go down. We can't see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away to, from me and surely has been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So he explains all this to Joseph, and I'm sure internally, like Joseph is is pretty touched by all this because it's very bold, his presentation. He's insinuating that Joseph, you understand Judah's, uh, would understand Judah's insight. Joseph would see the remorse and the pain that was caused when Jacob found thought that Joseph was dead. I mean, this is this is pretty intense. He insinuates again, you asked us to do something that we knew would, would cause our father tremendous pain, and yet you asked us to do it anyways, and we did it. And now you're asking us to leave that, that child here? And again, he's not a small child. He's a man. You're telling us to leave him here? No. No, we, we are all staying. We are all going to be your slaves. There is no way we go back without him. So... Verse 30, so if the boy is not with us when we go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, who is life is closely bound with a boy's life, 
sees that the boy is, isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring his gray head to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, me, Judah, guaranteed the boy's safety. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain. Let me remain. Judah's saying, let me take his place. I will be my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let the boy, I, I love that they keep calling him boy like he's some, you know, little thing. Let the, the baby return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy's not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And again, what, what, did, what did Joseph pick up? He picked up all of this unbelievable empathy that Judah had developed for his father because it was Judah who sold Joseph into slavery. It was Judah who subsequently left the family and lost two sons of his own and came back. And, and it was Judah who was now saying, listen, I, I, I made a promise and I'm not going back on it. I can't do that to my father, in essence, again. And Joseph understood that. In, the, in those moments, and again, I don't think, it, I, even as, as slowly as I read those verses, I think that these, these verses went on for more than that. I think there was quite a lot of time for Joseph to really look into the eyes of Judah to, to what, what, is, what those observing this would have thought Judah, you know, that, uh, sorry, that Joseph is reading Judah's heart, that he's getting a spiritual read on what Judah's going through. And, and Joseph is is moved by Judah's offer to take Benjamin's place as a servant of Joseph. And in that movement, Joseph has literally all he needs to know about, about the family, about how the brothers actually have felt after uh, Joseph was sold into slavery, about the way his father was devastated and the way the brothers felt about devastating the father. Joseph knew that not only, you know, back in the day, you know, they didn't like him, but they also had disdain for the father because he was a he was not a good dad. He played favorites and he 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 disdained those that weren't born of his favorite wife. Like it he was not a good dad, but but seeing the pain that they caused their father, even in their hard-hearted, bitter hearts, they they were like, we can't do that to him again. And the guilt and the and the and the uh, bitterness that they felt internally for having done this to Joseph, man, they were they. I'm sure so many times they they probably thought there had to have been a better way. What we did was was wrong, and that's all of this is contained in the plea from Judah. His heart is broken, and he believes. He deserves it because, because he believes all this guilt and shame comes from God. But, but Joseph knows that's not true and, you know, that God doesn't operate that way. And he sees in Judah deeply inside and says, wow, this guy gets it. He understands. And now jo Joseph's ready to make the next move. And that's the end of today's episode. <laughs> Oh, man, I know. It's rude to end right there, right? I probably should do an hour-long one and, and cover the next episode as well. But why not break it up? 
It's a great story. Listen, you're allowed to read these things. You know, you can get ahead. We can get ahead. But we'll deal with Genesis chapter 45 next week. This is 60 episodes in. I think we got about five left. Five left, and we'll be done with the book of Genesis, and we'll be, uh, yeah. And then season three is the book of Exodus. That's amazing as well. All right. Look forward to talking to you guys next week. Have yourself a fabulous day. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. My thoughts today go to the fact that in my head, as I listened to this episode, I thought, I don't know if we could over overemphasize the family dynamic, uh, both by Joseph's observation of them at the at the lunch, which I do believe went pretty much the rest of the day. Uh, how he observed them in the evening, wherever it was that they went to sleep, and how they interacted in the morning. Even though it's like, you know we don't see him around. But I know that he was aware that they were loaded and on their way out. And and in all of that, he still comes up with the plan to frame his youngest brother to continue to test, I think, the resolve of his other brothers to maintain the covenant that they had, you know, struck when they pulled him up out of the well, or probably just before he they pulled him up out of the well. It's it for me again that oral tradition that that legend is the only thing that that holds any sort of probability in my mind as to why Joseph waited as long as he did why he didn't reach out to his father despite at least 14 years of opportunity closer to 20 years of opportunity to reach out and let his father know that he's still alive even in all of that, he's like, I just need to keep testing. What's their resolve? What's their resolve? What's their resolve? Because, because he was, you know, I, I think inside, sometimes I think he was thinking, I just need to know Benjamin's going to be okay. And in this final plea, uh, I think he starts to see, wow, they're actually really sorry that they did this to me. They actually feel very poorly about themselves. They have never gotten over the over what they did. Now, of course, Joseph had not, never gotten over what they had done either. And again, I don't think God was a part of this whole plan, although God's goodness never leaves. So he's always going to turn the plan into something good. But, but this was not God's plan. So I, I think Joseph, uh, at, at some, some points during this, this back and forth with his brothers, he was thinking he was just going to let them go that it was good enough to know that his father was alive and that they truly cared for Benjamin. And now as a bonus, he finds out they're actually very sorry that they did what they did. I mean, they didn't say, oh, we killed our brother, but it was clear that they know that their father's life is tied to the last child of his favorite wife, which again speaks to the twistedness of Jacob as a father that he should not have played favorites, that he, you know, to put that kind of pressure on all of his sons to, you know, to for Benjamin to grow up under that kind of pressure is also kind of crazy. It just goes on and on and on. So I think it's really important that we uh, spend some time at the end of this show 
Just use your imagination and think through the social dynamics of the brothers as they process what they did again to Joseph, how they process if we if we let Benjamin go home, or if we go home without Benjamin, we're, dad will die. They literally sacrifice all of their family by saying, we will stay as your slaves because they're not bringing home food if they stay as slaves. All of their families will die. They're like, we, we are so resolute in not doing to dad what we've already done to him once before that we will let our families die. I mean, honestly, let that sink in. And I will see you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.